0: Well, as you asked for us to talk about marriage, it caused me really to begin to even reflect and consider what might God want to say to us today, both in prayer and even in just kind of asking what is the current status of married life in general. As I began to research and reflect, uh, multiple news sources have highlighted this, but one of the pieces in the midst of COVID that we have is now we have enough months to compare what was it like a year ago to now. So in that comparison, if we look from March to June, divorces went up over 30% from year to year. Powerfully and profoundly, marriages had difficulty in the midst of it. They found the greatest spike was about 15 to 30 days after COVID hit when what they call is the disillusionment phase, when all of those pressures began to kind of move in on life at home. And we understand that. I mean, the couples reported all sorts of stresses, stresses from work, working at home, uh, financial pressure, pressure of all being together, pressure of homeschooling and managing children in the home, pressure from each other, or one having a mental health issue that even got exacerbated, to all sorts of other stress. Everything got difficult in the pressure cooker, and we all know it continues, by the way. And in case you don't know it, I kind of want to be clear. We need to remind ourselves of this. Every day I have conversations with people and it goes somewhat like this, man, I am so much more tired than I normally am. And I, I can't really tell you why. And it's like, listen, we're all in a major crisis and pandemic with all sorts of other implications to life that are all sorts of pressures, all sorts of uncertainty in the midst of a growing intense, hostile climate towards each other like we've never seen. Does it follow that it would be difficult? It does. And the way we say it's not is, well, I know other people have it worse. And yes, they do. That doesn't make yours easier. So I kinda wanna remind us, life's difficult right now. It's tiring, it's taxing, and the research plays that out. In fact, in case you don't know, the marriage decline is everywhere in the states. They looked, even in the Bible Belt, it's the worst place. Actually, Alabama and Arkansas were the two worst states affected, which are two of the most, we'd say, religious. So that's not telling us that our faith doesn't matter. It means that we're missing something. And then in case you don't know, young marriages are the most at risk. From zero to five years, newlywed to five, the the statistics doubled of divorce during this time, meaning if it was around 10%, it was around 20 of those. So basically, all this early married life that hasn't built things struggles even more. Now, well, you're welcome. I thought I'd excite you and enthusiasm for this. I, I think where I wanna start with though is it's hard right now. And let's be honest about that, it's difficult. And I want to say it to those of you, again, maybe you're a young adult, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're single in this phase of life and haven't been married, maybe you're even hoping to be or finding peace not being. This is not a message intended to go, well, if you're not married then, because we know in our singleness, God makes us whole We also know that there's some unique things with marriage, and that's my hope today, is that we will discover something larger about the image of marriage and what it means that might heighten our enthusiasm, excitement, and even kind of wonder. And then I also want us to address what we can do in the midst of struggle. Those are my two hopes in our time together. And with that in mind, we're gonna take just one simple interaction that Jesus has while he walks the earth. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. It's one of four accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. But I want to be clear about this and kind of set up what's going on in the midst of this interaction. And interestingly, these religious leaders come to him, which is a common interaction in religious communities. Leaders ask other leaders questions about faith to draw out their teaching and understanding. These leaders come and they ask Jesus this question, hey, Can a man divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, I wanna give you context so you understand why Jesus is even answering in this and why they're asking. Most of us don't think about this, but basically, if we go back to the Jewish laws to what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, Leviticus, there's a law where Moses says a man may give his wife a certificate of divorce if she does a detestable act. Now, it doesn't define what that is. And in case you don't know, in the ancient world, men were the ones that could divorce, women couldn't. So they're asking a question, hey, Jesus, what do you think the reason in the past is that someone gets to get out of this deal? What's the opt-out factor, and how does it happen? And in that time, rabbis argued about it. Many of them, this is horrible, so I'm not saying this is a good thing, many of them thought a detestable lack was anything the husband didn't like. She burnt the toast, she made food he didn't like, she, she didn't look the way she used to. I mean, you can, all the things we would just about cringe and die over many of them thought if he doesn't like anything, he can say it's over. So Jesus, they're asking this question, what's the out? And particularly, don't don't forget, it's also kind of assaulting the woman in the relationship because she has no say. I want you to hear how he responds because how he responds is how I want us to first think about this. He doesn't respond even answering it. He responds with the very design of it. And this is what he says. Haven't you read, meaning go back to the scriptures, that God in the beginning made them male and female. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, this is the words of Jesus, which by the way, if you've ever been to a Christian wedding, you'll always hear this saying, I pronounce you husband and wife, you may kiss your bride. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus' answer when he's saying how and what are the reasons we can get out of it are, whoa, 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 whoa. I want to go back to how God designed this. And in case you don't know, Jesus is citing two different passages in Genesis. There are two stories of the beginning of time. Genesis 1 tells it kind of through functions and what happens. Genesis 2 tells it very specific to humanity. And I wanted us to get this because it's a place we begin with the uniqueness of marriage. So he says, in the beginning, he made them male and female. Now, the whole passage says, God said, let us make them in our image, male and female. In other words, the fullness of God is found in the fullness of humanity, not simply in being a male, it's in maleness and female. It's all there. God gives the fullness of who he is through this. But what I want you to understand, we call this a binary. It means there's a connection between these two. And the reason I want you to understand it is that's the entire creation narrative in Genesis 1. In fact, the way it begins is God created the heavens and the earth. These two unique things come together to bring something unbelievably wondrous. That's what he's saying in this. It's a binary. It means they're related. He also says he made the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. These two come together for something unique and wonderful. He made the sea and the land, and they come together to make something wonderful. And then he culminates with man and woman, Now, the reason I want you to see this is everything God makes in creation is to point to who he is. So I want you to just consider this for a minute. Last weekend, uh, Jane and I uh, spent the evening out at one of the parks on the lake, just had dinner and watched the sunset. And it was fascinating to watch because I remember thinking about this. Hey, have you ever been in a place, we are in a place where sea and, water, sea and land meet. Do you ever have that where you just hear the waves crashing into the land and you think, There's something transcendent right here. There's something I sense that I don't feel in other places. Like when sea and water meet, when we realize this is what covers the earth, and when they meet, there's something where you kind of go, I feel God in this. It points to who He is. At the same time, we're watching the sunset, and as we're watching the sunset brilliantly and brightly, we look over here and we can see the moon, and it's like we see these two at the same time. You almost. Like, I can't describe it other than there's wonder. Like, you're getting the picture of wonder from this. And by the way, heaven and earth, you know what the prayer Jesus taught us to pray is? Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is where? In heaven. It's okay if you don't know, it wasn't a test. But what I want you to get is, we pray that heaven would meet earth. I want you to get this picture because the very design of marriage is intended to be incredibly wondrous And what we'd call transcendent, it means something about it is meant to point to God the same way the heavens and the earth, the sun and the moon, the land and the sea, man and woman in marriage, it connects. And there's a complementarity to it, meaning there's something that happens when these two come together to be something beautiful and wonderful. I don't want us to just think of it as a contractual life. God is saying in the very design, and that's why Jesus is going back to it. Hey, what's the out I can have? No, no, wait, 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 wait. Let's go back to the way the Father made it. Jesus made it, by the way. Let me go back to how I designed it. Oh, man, I made the heavens and the earth. I made the sun and the moon, and guess what? I made the land and the sea, and I made man and woman. You know, you guys are a little bit more awake than they were at nine, but I'm telling you, this is amazing. So I'm just gonna be excited for all of us. I'm gonna write it off to, it's, it's kind of breezy out. You're a little tired. Oh, it's fall, it's cloudy, this is much more awesome than your fa- You need to tell your face it's better than this because your face isn't showing it right now. And I'm telling you, this is quite amazing. Not that what I'm, I'm just, I want us to get a picture of this because that's what Jesus is saying. Oh, you're asking the out and you're missing the beauty of this. Now there's much more layer to this even than that statement. We don't realize that God uses marriage and kind of defi- defines and even gives us marriage as a means to understand him. You may not know this, but when God is leading Israel, he looks at that relationship all through history and even to this time and says, guess what? I want you to compare my relationship to you as a man to a woman, as a husband to a wife. I'm yours and you're my people. In fact, God is wounded when they pick a king because they pick a king because that's what other nations have when he's to be their king. They miss it. Let me give you another picture, though, of this relationship, because it gives us a picture of both why marriage is the way it is and why God is the way he is. At one point in time, Israel, and this is one of their major struggles, they follow God, but they pick a lot of other gods alongside of him. They worship the gods of Baal, the gods of this, whatever nation that has. It's all good. It's God. It's not. And he wants this to be clear to one of his prophets, and he says to this poor prophet. God, I'm not going to say this is really nice to the poor guy, but you go marry a woman who has lots of men she's with, and then talk to me about that. And this poor guy marries a wife that is unfaithful, is with many other people, and God says, this is exactly how the people are with me. You know why? Because God made us to be his and his alone, separate from all others, and he made marriage the very same way. Do you realize That fidelity in marriage is simply a reflection of how God wants us to be with him. Come on, that's amazing. That's a bigger, more transcendent view than just I'm supposed to be faithful. There's some kind of banal reason for this. or There's much bigger pictures than that that God has for us. Jesus and the church, as the early church understood it, was another image to give of husband and wife. It's another picture for us that, guess what? Marriage is to be a signpost of how God relates to the people. There's something beautiful about this that we're to understand. And in case you don't know, even as the creation story culminates in this, guess what the end of time culminates in? When we have this wonderful apocalyptic vision of John's, he says that the final day when Jesus returns, well, guess what kind of party it's gonna be? You can say it, guess what kind of party it's gonna be? A wedding party. Somebody was thinking a kegger. I'm like, no, no, that's not what it is. I can understand why you'd think that. God uses marriage as his ultimate picture. And in case you don't know it, The issue of the people of God is that we are being prepared to be his. In other words, we're maturing and growing in him. That's the image of preparation for marriage, being ready for one another. By the way, side note, no extra charge. When it says the man leaves his father and mother united with his wife, the two become one. Those are in order Hebraically. They separate from their parents. They engage emotionally with the ones to be their spouse. And when they're married, they then become connected. It's this beautiful image of preparation did you not realize all of history we're being prepared to be God's people? Come on, that's amazing. It's transcendent. I hope you're getting kind of a look. Oh, this is bigger than I thought it was. This isn't about just living faithfully. This is God has a signpost for who he is through this wonderful, unique thing he gave us. Jesus gives us the other statement in the other part of Genesis. This is Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father, be united with his wife. The two will become one. They're no longer two, but one. I love it in Genesis 2. He uses different images of all this, gives the picture of the Garden of Eden. And then he basically says that Adam's alone, and he takes a rib out of him. It's beautiful. Rib, the word in the Hebrew, means side. And one of the wonderful rabbinic teachings are he didn't take a bone out of his head, lest the woman stand over him and dominate him. He didn't take it out of his foot, lest he dominate her, he took it out of his side because guess what? Husband and wife, they walk in partnership and strength and complementarity. Come on, that's awesome. It's a stupid word for rib and it means a lot more than that. Isn't that amazing? That is the artistry and the poetry of who God is. And I love it. I always call it kind of the encore of creation because God makes all of this stuff and you know what a great concert is, right? Right? Concert is you play great music, you save the best for last. And then when you think it's all over, the band comes back and does an encore. So God finishes with bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Adam's excited that he has Eve. Whoa, he's basically saying, how you doing? That's what the Hebrew meant to say. And then God brings an encore. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united with his wife, the two will become one. They're no longer two, but Echad, one. Now I want us to see this because it's another image of what marriage can be, of the wonder of what God designed it to be. One, this word ehad means a complex unity. It doesn't mean just the number one, it means oneness, something unique. Another place this is used is a centering verse for the Jewish culture, which is hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, Ehad. The reason I cite that is we know God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct persons, oneness, one God. Now, let me just pause for a minute and give you a very simple understanding of how God operates. God the Father is focused on the exaltation of God the Son. God the Son is focused on the exaltation of God the Father. It just means they are, they're looking out for the other. And the Holy Spirit exalts the Father and the Son. Within the Godhead, there is what we call other-centeredness. What do you think healthy married life should look like? Other-centeredness. What does the Christian life look like? other centeredness It's saying, I long for and care about what's best for you. That's what we get to discover in marriage. I don't know if you know this, but every application in the New Testament, every time Paul's telling the church, this is how you're to live, guess what the first grouping he gives? Go ahead and guess. It's going to be really hard to figure out. I've been talking about it the whole time. Go ahead. What do you think it is? You're scared to say marriage. It's just marriage, okay? Geez, not that difficult. It's an obvious question. Come on. It's always marriage, not because it's better than, because it's the concentric circle with which life begins. Who would know you most? Who would be most unique in your life? How could this be different? It's marriage, then it moves out to family, to work, to life from there. I I want you just to get a picture that marriage itself is something beautiful, and somehow we've lowered it to something much less than. And so the first thing I want you to understand from kind of a visioning side is marriage was made to display the wonder of God. Now make no mistake, we can sell it short and not model it or not live it well, but the power is there and the mystery is there. If you and I, as people who follow Jesus, can learn to live in a way that is other-centered and loving and growing in oneness, we will be exemplars and pictures of who he is. It's funny, my my own parents, and they had lots of struggles and things in their own married life, but my dad... uh, was a one who loved thinking and hated emotion. His hero was Spock because he was all about logic and emotion was this kind of lower thing that that earthlings did because he was a Vulcan. I know you don't care, but it's true. My mother would be Brenny Brown uh, living right now. She thinks everything's emotion and she thinks thinking. I don't, I'm exaggerating, but my mom didn't have any use for that. Now, what do you think when two people come together that differently that's like? I watched both of them in all that brokenness change and be transformed in the midst of it. That's what God intends. The sun and the moon are not the same. The land and the sea are not the same. The heavens and the earth are not the same. When they come together, there's something more powerful and transcendent. and that's what marriage is intended to be. And I don't want us to settle for something less. I want us to get the display and the wonder of God. And that's where Jesus goes when he's asked about how, what's, the, what's the exit strategy. Oh, no, no, no. I think you lost what the vision of it can be. And there will be some here today that need to simply pray that God would refresh vision. And you might hear a higher calling in this. And make no mistake, I am not saying to you if you're single or divorced or widowed, you now need to move towards it. I'm saying it's a signpost. And God wants to meet you wherever you are in whatever phase. But we still raise this up. It was a wonderful tradition in the Jewish culture and it came from the teachings. We read about it in Hebrews, though it's not a Jewish book, that marriage is to be held up by all. And in a marriage feast, the two would sit in chairs and they would elevate them as a way to say, we acknowledge something transcendent and beautiful about this. I just don't want to, while we're gonna talk about the difficulties, miss telling us that. Because I think that's a piece of understanding things differently. Now, after that happens, they continued to bother Jesus with this because they want to get to what they asked. Hey, then why did Moses make a commandment that a man could give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus' response to me is so profound and gives us such a window into what brings about demise. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. You know, I, uh, I've been in vocational ministry for a long time now and before that I did uh, clinical work and I've happened to sit with couples a lot over the years and I wish I could tell you I sit with them early when they're still often pliable but by the time often t- sometimes a couple comes to me one of them has been crying out to the other one and just not felt heard or understood and their hearts closed off by the time I see them. And the one who's finally saying, I get it, it's like the other one's going, I'm done. I've sat with people and literally gone, I don't know what else to do. And I really understand why Moses allowed this because you're kind of done and your hearts have just closed off. And a little bit for me today, maybe you're already past that point and you are divorced. I'm not trying to move it back. I want God to open your heart, whatever it means. But for some of you in the midst of it, I want you to begin to pray, even today, what might God want to do to soften what could become a hardening heart. But I want to take it a step further because as I was reflecting on this, it's not something I haven't known, but I began to ask where in the scripture do we see hard-heartedness and do we understand how it's built or how it's contributed? So I want to take you to two passages in Exodus. This is when Israel's trying to get free of the bondage from Egypt. And it's interesting because one of them describes God creating the hard-heartedness, the other is Pharaoh himself. This is all about Israel coming to him to let them go. And I don't want you to consider the source. I want you to hear what it says around hard-heartedness because it gives us an insight to what's missing or what closes off that creates it. So let me take you to Exodus 7 first. And I, I find it really insightful. So it says, God says, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart and though I will multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt. In other words, all these things are gonna happen that are gonna be powerful that should help Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh see. It says, he will not what? Listen to you. In other words, somewhere his ears will be closed off and what he's saying is there's a relationship between not listening and hardening. He says it again in the next chapter about Pharaoh directly. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, these, basically these different um, plagues are happening and it makes him nervous and every time it's relieved it says he hardened his heart and guess what? He wouldn't listen. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had said. In other words, there's a relationship between not listening and hard-heartedness, there's something that happens in us that either it from the beginning isn't listening or along the way we stop listening and somewhere it closes us off to each other. I, I would be curious how many of you have ever heard a close relationship say to you, you're not really listening to me. You, you don't really understand what I'm saying. Or how many of us don't listen when someone else is giving us input into our lives. One of my deepest griefs when I watch A Married Life is what is obviously a character issue in one person and the other either hasn't had the courage to talk about it or doesn't feel heard so they don't point it out and that character issue gets bigger. And after decades of it, other people see it and no one can speak into it because in marriage they were not open to hearing it from the one closest to them. They weren't opening to listening. See, it's not just about listening to me, it's listening about you too. Listening means I'm open to what's being said. I want to understand. I wanna give you kind of three simple ways to think about listening, because that's my encouragement. Wherever your marriage is, especially those of you who may be struggling today, I think listening will be at the key of this. And I wanna give you a picture of what I mean and maybe even a question to ask that you could ask your spouse in the midst of the struggle. Three things. One is we listen to know. And when I say to know, I don't mean to cognitively know. What I mean is to know personally. I don't know if you realize this, but one of the beautiful things about married life and about the uniqueness of that relationship to any other is you are known and you know the other person. In other words, you actually know who they are. You know, Jane and I have been married for 33 years. And uh, one of the most powerful things for me in our marriage is I look across the table and my wife looks at me and she knows who I am. In other words, she knows what God is changing and she loves that. She knows who God's made me to be that isn't like her and she loves that. She knows there's things that I don't know if they'll ever change this side of eternity and she loves me in that. She knows me. And guess what? I look at the table and say the same thing. Do you know how amazing that is to have a spouse that knows you in all of it and loves you for who God made you to be, not who they want you to be? I want to say that again, for who God made you to be, not who they want you to be. We do a premarital process here and one of the exercises, you look at these different attributes you all have. One of them, social, kind of how social you are. One of them's how much you like change. One of them is how organized you are or disorganized you are. One of them is how much you advocate for yourself at the exclusion of others and how much you're sensitive to others' needs at your own detriment. And the final one is about how much you either have a high, thres- high stress threshold or if it's lower, how you have a high sensitivity threshold. Do you know most couples are not the same on almost every one of those? Do you know what it's like for a very organized person to marry someone who's kind of mediocre in organization? And they have to say, I love you the way God made you. They don't They don't get to say, why do you not know how to organize everything in your life? And the person who's not as organized doesn't get to say the one who is. Why did God make you a control freak? No, God made them with great organization. You can say which way I'm biased. Yeah, schedule. <laughs> uh, I'm not that organized. What I'm saying is, we begin to embrace the other person and know them for who they are, not for who we think they should be. So so if you want to know how this is going in your married life, it's a simple question. All you have to do is ask your spouse, do you think I know you? And then they can ask you, do you think I know you? What a great conversation that would be. Do you feel known? And why or why not? What can I do to better know you? Let me take you to the second one. It's to understand. You could say they're the same. The reason I differentiate is I can know who my mate is. I can know who anyone is around me. To understand means I actually have sympathy, empathy, and understanding of why and who they are rather than judgment over who they are. I understand I know there are different values. I know there are different priorities. I know there's a different life. I'm not saying it's all different, but to understand means I really get why that matters to you and what matters to you. I understand you. It is a great thing when you can look across the table and go, man, they know me and they understand me. And by the way, it's a lot more work to understand because we're different you realize that no matter what we're similar on, we'll have different values too or different ways we get there. And to understand that really matters. (laughs) Our marriage is like, that's why I love the picture of the, the sea and the land, the sun and the moon, the heavens and the earth because they're different things that come together but they work in such amazing complementarity. What if you and I began to look and understand our differences as the very thing God wants to use to transform us and bless in the other person. And by the way, caring about their needs says, you know what, I want to understand you to love you the way you need to be loved, not to love you the way I think you should be. That's understanding. It's a lifetime pursuit, by the way. Application in every relationship. It leads us to the last one, which is we listen to love. We ultimately listen to love, and I missed the question I meant to have you ask. Again, you can just ask, do you think I understand you? I understand your motives, your dreams, your desires, your values. Let me take you to the last one. Do you feel loved is all you simply have to ask. Do you feel loved by me? Do I love you in a way that matters to you? Do I know what you value? Do I know what you need to experience love? What if we shifted on that to speak the language they need instead of the language we speak? I know how to tell my wife I love her in the ways I like to be told. I'm really good at telling her in the ways I like to be told. But man, to learn her ways of needing to hear it, of what she values, and then valuing it, not just doing it because it gets it across, but actually loving who she is. By the way, that's who Jesus is. That's how we love in the church. And you know that we actually love our enemies, let me just say it this way. If we can't get this right in the closest, most caring relationship, how do we get it right in the relationships out a rung or two, and even to the ones that are enemies? Oh, my goodness. What makes the church unique? Because we love people that are, are hateful and difficult for us. Man, we got to get this right, building the right foundation. That's how it moves out. And we wonder why we have such difficulty when we can't get this right. Wow. Can you see what God might wanna do in us to change us? I I wanna close with something, but I do wanna give you one simple application that's a a future event we have because we think it'll be helpful. We actually have a marriage night on October 10. It is a virtual event given what we're living in. If you go to allshores.org, on our first page, you go down our homepage, uh, they will say marriage night. You can click on it, you'll find the sign up for it. It's 30 bucks for a couple. And then basically, if you want to invite other people to join you, you can have other couples there. If you're fearful of how that will go, the two of you alone, invite some other couples. Kind of have them to help it. Kidding. But it can be very helpful to you that way. And let me just say this, because I know that when we bring these pieces up, all this change can be hard. Even having this conversation, if you go, I don't know how it would go if I said to my, my wife, you know what, do you think I know you? Do you think I understand you? Do you feel loved by me? Maybe you're on that conversation. I'm not sure we know how to have. You know what? Sometimes you need a counselor to help with it. Ralph Bainum, our pastor emeritus and counseling pastor, we offer it here. No charge to you. Ralph is wonderful at this piece. We would go call our office. Let us help you that way. And you know what? We have lots of counselors that we connect with in town and find ways for people that have no resource or money to find ways to get in there. Don't let finance stop you. And we want you to find the best person to help you, but we have all sorts of Christian counselors we're connected to. We can help you with that. Contact our office. Don't do it alone if you can't. But I want to take you to this final thought before I pray over you. And it was something that happened to me yesterday. It was very weird, but it was very meaningful. So many of you know we asked you to start praying with us for 40 days leading up to the election. So we started on Friday, and we've been sending out just a verse each day that's kind of a personal revival. Lord, Lord, let me long for you, let me long for your word, let me long for your presence. I think today's was about self-examination, search my heart. So yesterday, I am, uh, I am working on my garage uh, because we've had this huge inside project and do you ever do that? We throw everything in one other area? So now it's like, I need to clean up my mess that I made for the inside project. So I'm working on my garage and uh, I have this old workbench that was my grandpa's and uh, he was good with tools. I look at it and go, I found something. I'm like, I don't even know what this tool is, but um, so I'm looking at it, and it feels like a very manly thing I'm doing. I'm out there getting the workbench going and organizing my tools and all sorts of other things. At the same time, I'm considering this, God, you need to we need you to move. I'm praying this. And I decided to go back while I was doing this and listen to an old worship album. I don't know that many of you would even know this, but there was a, a revival in Brownsville. I think it was in the late '90s in, in Florida. And uh, all this worship music grew out of it. And I remember really enjoying it at the time. I thought, you know, I'm just going to listen. I remember this was significant. So I started listening. And about the third song in, this wave of emotion comes over me. My mom would be so proud. And uh, so I'm sitting here with these tools, (laughs) crying, thinking this is the weirdest thing I've ever had in my life. I don't know what to do with all this. And I'm so glad my neighbor didn't come in to borrow anything because I'm thinking, You're gonna, I'm going to turn around and be the crying man in his, with his tools looking like, what is wrong with you, dude? But well, here's what I'm to tell you happened. I had such a profound experience of the Holy Spirit in that moment that it was like just a taste. It wasn't that everything shifted, but there was a sense of thinking and seeing who Jesus is and the holiness of him. And the wonder of him that everything else just kind of fell away. And in that moment, all I could think about were all the relationships and all the things that are broken right now and all the things that are broken in our nation right now. And I know it sounds trite sometimes to go, Jesus is the answer, but it wasn't like that. It was when we really experience him and know him, everything else just doesn't matter the same. And so I started thinking about people after this that, man, your heart has been closed for a long time in your marriage and you don't know where it's gonna go. And I go, You know the beautiful thing? It's not just up to you. You need God to move. I think about those of us who go, man, my spouse has never been open to hearing this, and you can't change that, but man, you can ask God to move. I think about those of us who are broken and go, listen, I'm living after divorce where it's such a mess, even mentioning it hurts. Man, God wants to meet you in that. I am widowed, and I'm looking to eternity because, man, what I have now will never come back. I miss him, her, you know, whatever. It's an ache. I know Jesus just wants to meet you in it. So my sense was, I just want to pray for you. But I'm praying, believing the Holy Spirit wants to pour into you something fresh. And I don't say it tritely or simplistically. I can't manufacture it. But there was a confidence that hit me at that stupid toolbox yesterday and that stupid project where I went, I think God wants to move among us. I just want to pray for us with this today. So Lord, I'm asking for each person here and online. I don't know their circumstances. I don't know what their clothes do or feel clothes to from those around them. I don't know what is past, present, or future. But Holy Spirit, breathe life into them. Holy Spirit, move in power. Let them somehow mystically and wonderfully know of the love, the power, and the perfection of Jesus. And God, would you impart into them a longing for it? Would you take hard hearts and soften them? Would you take wounds and heal them? Would you take hopelessness and breathe hope? Would you do something that only you can do and create a a reliance on you that says, I can't, but I need you? And would you create accepting, loving relationships in marriage that will be signposts to who you are? I ask for that powerful move in the name of Jesus. Amen.